Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Good afternoon and good night. Thanks for clicking and tuning into Stories of the Streets, hosted by me, Davey R. Woodson, and Jasmine Bledsoe of the New Black Collective. Um, as always, Stories of the Streets is sponsored by Rogue Media, Change Waco, the New Black Collective, and Black Scent. Now, um, unfortunately, we're doing things a little different this week. We're not, uh, we don't have a guest right here in the booth with us, and Jasmine won't even be joining me today due to some, um, you know, like, kind of personal issues, but we'll be right back to it before y'all know it, and we still have a great episode for y'all. Um, we have a two-parter, actually. Episode three will be split into two parts. Part one will be, um, uh, the first half of an interview that I got with, um, District 22 Senate, um, Texas District 22 Senate candidate Robert Vick, um, and then the second half, uh, or part two of the episode will be me and Jasmine sitting down talking about, you know, our thoughts for the interview. So, you know, thank y'all for showing y'all's support and, you know, liking and sharing and reaching out to us about coming on to, you know, guests and stuff like that. We'll be getting back to y'all as soon as 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 we can, and, um, you know, I'm planning out those schedules accordingly. Uh, Thanks again. Um, I'm not going to hold y'all up anymore. Uh, Thank y'all for clicking, and thank y'all for listening. All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good night, everyone. Um, I'm Dave R. Woodson, um, you know, local activist and founder of the new nonprofit Black Scent. Um, this morning, I have, you know, Texas Senate um, candidate Robert Vick with me. He, you know, took time to come sit down and talk to uh, talk to me and talk to, you know, the Stories of the Street podcast. And um, we have a, a few questions I wanted to ask him. But first, um, Mr. Vick, you wanted to open up with, like, kind of a story, correct? Yeah, I do. Thank you. Thank you very much. The, the story is about the Albany movement. And the Albany movement doesn't have much of a, of a history. It's got a little footnote in history. But it occurred in Albany, Georgia in 1961. Now back then, I was a freshman in, in high school and stuff, uh, living in, in one of uh, the most segregated, almost apartheid cities in the country. Uh, and Dr. Martin Luther King and Ralph Abernathy and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference decided to really take their uh, civil rights movement to the streets. And they moved into Albany, Georgia, and they really, every single weekend uh, went to the streets took it asking for integration into that that little community in that little society they tried and tried and tried uh dr king was arrested three weeks in a row uh, and, and put in jail i believe that was the first city that ever arrested dr king right. and then uh 
what was really interesting about it is after he was arrested the third time, his bail was paid uh, by uh, preachers who, who all got together and said, you know, we really don't want this. We really are seeking integration. We're really seeking a better society. And that was kind of unusual. It's kind of different from the preachers that we have today, uh, uh, especially the fundamentalist preachers. Well, they tried for, for three years there to break into Albany, Georgia, and it didn't work. It was kind of a failure. So what they did is decided that they were going to leave Albany and, and move the civil rights movement and base it in Birmingham, Alabama, as being a better place to do it. Uh, and that's when they met uh, the young man from, uh, from Selma and uh, John Lewis and, and began working together on the civil rights movement. And the reason the Albany movement was considered a failure was because it didn't have specific goals. Its goal was integration. Let's integrate. Let's all get along. Everybody get along and be good. Well, that's too broad of a goal. Yeah. So when Dr. King and Abernathy, when they sat down, they said, look, let's take a lesson from what we've learned. Let's integrate lunch counters in Birmingham. Let's integrate the bus system. Let's go to Memphis and let's work with the sanitation workers. So they begin to focus in on very specific little issues rather than the whole general issue. Now, I've participated in a number of Black Lives Matter events here, and I'm seeing a lot of the same things. We want an inclusive society. We want it all, but we were lacking specifics. When people talk about systematic racism and they talk about, you know, uh, what can we do, what can we do, they're not being real specific. Yeah. Well, I've got some very specific things that I've learned in my 40 years of working in civil rights and working in the civil rights movement. And that's why I'm running this campaign. I'm not a politician. This is the first time I've ever run for anything. I've just had you know, one of my questions. <laughs> I've just had enough. Yeah. You know, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1965. And here we are still fighting the same issues all these years later. In 2020. <laughs> In 2020. Yeah. So I just virtually had enough. And, and the guy that I'm running against is, is absolutely one of the worst of the worst. Uh, uh, and so I figured that there's, there's some things we can do to end systematic racism and to end these problems that we have in this country. Uh, and that's what my platform is based on, is based on doing that. I'm glad you, um, yeah, thank you so much for opening up with that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like a, a pre, like, civil rights, you know, kind of how it all gets started. A lot of people don't see the kind of, or they don't really know the behind the scenes of everything, you know, in terms of how stuff gets started. So thank you for that. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned, um, you know, that a lot of people do get out there and kind of protest and will, you know, shout for change all day. But one of the main things that people have brought to my attention with the first protest I was here in Waco is, you know, what are you specifically, you know, like, protesting against? You know, what are you trying to change? And I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, you could say all these things, but, you know, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, what specifically are, do you want, you know, change? So I'm glad you, you know, said that. And, um, yeah, one of my questions was uh, when did you get into, like, the political world? And like you said, you kind of just jumped in because, um, you know, you're tired, and I get that. I, I definitely feel that. Um, you know, I haven't been in this fight as long as you have. But the 2012, like, Trayvon Martin um, case is what really kind of woke me up 
to realize that everything isn't, you know, how it should be in terms of how people are treated, you know, in this country. And, you know, you you think that it ended, you know, civil rights and MLK and all that kind of stuff, but no, a lot of it still happens today. Um, was there anything else to like the story that... Well, yeah, the the story is, is, is that we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, and the, the story has been driven by the same factors and the same people that drove it back in those days. Yeah. We passed the Civil Rights Act and, and, you know, the powers that be went absolutely crazy. You know, the, the rise of the Dixiecrat Party, the rise of the Confederate flag, the rise of, you know, all of that nonsense. Yeah. We elected Barack Obama as president. They went crazy again. <laughs> but this time, they're a lot more sophisticated than they were bef- back then. Yeah. Now, the amount of money from extreme right-wing groups and right-wing individuals that comes into our politics, particularly in Texas, because Texas is the key. If Texas ever goes Democrat, then the Republicans' path to the White House is blocked forever. Mm -hmm. So they're really putting their resources and their money into Texas. I'll give you an example. My opponent, he has a $700,000 campaign account. Uh, that's That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, yeah. But he only received contributions over the last six months, contributions from eight individuals in the district. But just has, just uh, eight. That's crazy. All of his other money comes from Empower Texas, mm-hmm. the Wilkes family, uh, all of their super PACs, uh, all the oil packs and companies. Uh, uh, that's where it all comes from. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know. That was my thing, is it was looking at politics and paying attention to it and paying attention to the money and seeing what was happening in Texas. And that kind of drove me to, to get into this race because, you know, these people do not deserve a free pass. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. A lot of, when I was putting together that, um, I put together this, like, document that broke down, you know, who's, who's running for what, you know, in our Texas elections. And it was crazy to me how hard it was to find a lot of that information. Like, a lot of it isn't accessible, to, you know, to the public. So it's nice to have, you know, kind of, so to speak, like a normal person who just kind of stands up and is like, you know, it's some, you know, we need change. You know, this is how we're going to do it. If y'all, you know, back me up, then we can really get there. Um, uh, okay, if yeah. you don't, oh, you go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I'll just want to say if you don't mind, um, you know, I'll just ask a few questions and then that can lead us into more, you know, sure. discussion. Um, okay, so are you from Texas? Uh, no, originally from Georgia. Originally right. from a little yeah, town, yeah. Albany, Georgia. Uh, but I've been in Texas for 35 years 30 now. Years. So. Okay. And then, yeah, I'm close enough. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. that's a long time. Uh, okay, so then, and you said you kind of chose to run, you know, and for, well, why did you choose to run for a senator or like for Senate um, specifically, you know, versus like mayor or anything like that? Well, Brian Birdwell, our state senator and stuff, as I began looking at campaign finance reports, and I used to do a lot of speeches on where the money comes and where the money goes and stuff, and what I was seeing is that he's kind of like a a laundry machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, The money comes into him, and then it goes out all over the place. Uh, He uses his money in school board races, in county commissioner races, in city council races, He's pushing everything further and further to the right. Yeah. Uh, they, they've got this agenda that they're really interested in doing, and one is destroying public education. And, and so they work at school board level. You don't ever know it. There's no place to see it, you know, yeah. <clears throat> unless you get into, like, 
500 different campaign finance reports to yeah. see it all, but, but it all ties together nice and neat. And he was involved in our school board races, he was involved in our, our county commissioner races, where I live now, which is over in Granbury. And it's like, I, I got tired of people like that playing in our local community and playing in our politics. And then as I began looking around the whole Senate district, he does it everywhere. He does it every single county. The little Republican parties receive funding from him. The candidates, uh, only the candidates that are vetted, is you know extreme right wing candidates yeah. receive this money. And I thought that somebody needed to stand up and speak out against him and what's going on and how they're running uh, the politics. The, the Wilkes family is a big supporter of his. We just had a house race over there in uh, House District sixty. Uh, and they spent $2 million trying to get their candidate elected in a house race that pays $14,000 a year. Uh, it's all specifically for one purpose. Yeah. Uh, if you've heard of the Freedom Caucus in the Texas House, uh, okay. the little extreme right-wing guys that gave us the bathroom bill and all the rest yeah. of it, the same people. It's the same Brian Birdwell, Ferris Wilkes, Empower Texas that are running our politics and pushing it to the right. And somebody needed to call them out. Yeah. Hey. Having so much money like that, you can do so many more things and just kind of push a certain, you know, agenda. Oh. And that's really sad. I didn't, you know, I didn't, a lot of, like, I didn't know. You know, that they you know, <laughs> have the backing, um, you know, where all this kind of, like, money and all the backing comes from. So I'm glad, uh, you know, that, you know, hopefully more people pay attention, you know, after all this and just really watch, you know, where our money is going and, um, you know, who's in charge of it all. Because... That's, you know, really scary, and that's not, you know, right, it, you know. Um. It's unfortunate because Texas, you know, if you wanted to make a political contribution to somebody running for Senate and stuff, there are no limits to the yeah. amount of money you can give. Yeah. Uh, now, if you wanted to give the president, there's a $2,000 limit. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that kind of shows, too, how many people. Well, no, it, I mean, that kind of shows to me... Um, the kind of power that these kind of like smaller um, political you know leaders have versus the president. Because a lot of people forget that the president kind of just more signs laws into passing versus you know doing everything. It's really Congress that does a lot of like the heavy lifting. So yeah, no, I think I think that's crazy to me. You know how much funding can go into you know senators and you know mayors and stuff like that. Um, all right, when, what's one of the first things you want to change um, if and when you're elected? Well, th th there are several. Uh, one of the first things I want to change is the rules of the Senate. Now, years ago, uh, during the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement and uh, the African-American community and the Latino community and, and rural people got together and said, look, you know, we're victims uh, of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, like Senate District 22 in McClellan County, there, there are 10 counties in this district. We have one senator. Fort Worth has four senators mm -hmm. in its district. Mm -hmm. So they came up with this rule of three-fifths, that it takes three-fifths of the senators, or 19 of them, to bring anything to the floor for a vote. So what happens, it's kind of like the same thing that's going on at the federal level yeah. with Mitch McConnell and that group. Anything that the House passes goes to the Senate, and if those Senate 19 senators don't agree, it never gets voted yeah. on. So nothing ever goes from the House to the Senate. It goes from the House to a committee where it's rewritten to appease those 19 Republican yeah. senators. 
and, and that rule is not really effective anymore because they have 19 senators. Mm -hmm. Now we're one senator away from breaking that supermajority. Uh, and so that's another reason for running this office. If we got to get rid of one senator, yeah. let's get rid of the worst one that we yeah. got. <laughs> You're only as good as your weakest link. Yeah, get, get that person out of there. Um, that makes sense. So. And there's, you know, the agenda is really long. Yeah. Uh, and, and the agenda is real long on purpose. Uh, what we're seeing now in the way things are, and one of the biggest things you can do for a BLM event or, or anything else is do away with the bail bond system. The cash for bond system is the most discriminatory laws we have in Texas. And now at this COVID situation, you know, there hasn't been a jury trial in Texas since March. So if you were arrested on a misdemeanor charge of marijuana or anything else, you've been sitting in jail waiting because you can't come up with $2,000 worth of bond. And if you can't come up with $2,000 worth of bond, you're sitting in jail. You probably lost your job. You're about ready to lose your house or your apartment. It is a very discriminatory law, and it needs to be done away with. It needs to be just done on recognizance. You know, you're out. You come back to court on such and such a date mm -hmm. uh, and do away with the whole bail bond system. And that, yeah, I, I think that's so true. Yeah, um, the more, like, this year especially has exposed a lot of things that I felt like have been wrong with our country that a lot of people just haven't been, you know, realizing or, you know, didn't know how to, you know, speak out or fight against. And I definitely have just, like, you know, with, like, friends and stuff like that, seeing kind of the bail system, you know, fail, you know, people in a sense. And really uh, kind of set people up for more failure. I have watched this really good um, documentary called 13th. Have you, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's a Netflix documentary, and the whole... The whole point of the documentary is to kind of expose um, kind of the the funding that goes into the prison system and how the prison system is kind of like a modern-day slave system. And then the bills, bondsmen, you know, kind of situation ties back into all that kind of keeping, you know, people um, marginalized and in a certain, you know, aspect to where they can't really get help or grow or improve because, you know, you're not meant to. And I definitely think, um, yeah, that, that now um, and moving forward, we do got to go back and redo a lot of these like older policies because a lot of people, um, one, a lot of people of color weren't at the table when all this stuff was getting set up. So things are getting set up that aren't taking care of, you know, a whole, you know, race, a whole section of, you know, people. So, yeah, no, I, I no, no, definitely, I like that. Thank you. you well, know. well, you know, you kind of brought it up about, about the whole jail system and, and criminal justice reform and stuff. That's another problem is with private prisons. Yeah. I, I hope they brought that up in the, the event. Because if you own the private prison, what's the best thing you can do? Uh, is provide you, your, your inmates with no skills, no yeah. job opportunities, do nothing but just let them go and hope that they're going to come back again yeah. real soon. Uh, yeah. So it's private also, prisons have to leak, go to. Yeah, uh, no, I do. and I think I, I saw... I don't think it's here in Texas, but it was somewhere when people are, so, I can't remember where, but they're making moves to try to like stop the funding of private prisons. Or maybe, I might have been reading like your um, your website. I don't know, I saw it somewhere. Someone was trying to like, you know, help defund like the private prisons. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so, all right, so speaking of like views and stuff like that, um, you know, looking at this COVID situation and stuff like, um, you know, everything that's going on right now, what are your views on like kind of the like health system, and do you have any kind of ideas to help you know reform that? Oh yes, I do. I have a lot of a lot of ideas about it. You know, 
look who's paying the cost for COVID. You know, it's, it's people of color. No question about it. Yeah. Now, we're talking about health care, but we could make the same case about jobs and employment yeah. and education and everything else. But, yeah. but talking about health care, there are 37 states that have expanded Medicaid, 37 of them. Texas is not one of them, and it's done it for political reasons, not for any real reason at all. The, the truth of the matter is, is if we expanded Medicaid in the state of Texas, we would cover four and a half million more people with health care. Wow. Mm. And what that means is it, it's really a problem for our rural neighbors and rural hospitals. We've lost more rural hospitals in Texas than any other state. We're losing them in our districts. Your local hospitals here are very, they're struggling. Mm. Those options where they used to be able to do elective surgery for people, that, that really paid for it. But instead, uh, you can't do elective surgeries anymore. Everything is gone. So the hospitals are struggling and you have indigent care. According to law, if anybody walks into that hospital and can't afford to pay, somebody's got to pick up the tab. So the tab is being picked up by the property tax owners in every particular county. Uh, so it, it is an economic disaster not to expand Medicaid. When, when they passed the Affordable Care Act and expanded Medicaid, they said, okay, states, you can opt in if you want to. And if any time you choose to opt out, go ahead and do it. Mm. Nobody's done that. No, yeah. <laughs> so right now, anybody that's working, you look at your, your, your pay stub, it says you're paying Medicaid tax. Well, that tax is going into the health care system to pay the health care in other states, but not, not in, in Texas. Texas. Yeah. So you're paying for health care in Arkansas and paying for health care in, in California and paying for health care, but not here. But not uh, here. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like <laughs> no, a lot of, no, it really doesn't. It, doesn't. it was a, a political of, decision. It yeah, was not a, it was a, not a rational decision. Um, that's crazy. So we just need to have common sense about yeah. this thing. Uh, you know, no telling how many lives will be saved uh, by expanding Medicaid and money. Every yeah. state has saved money by doing that. Uh, it just makes good sense. It does. Um, yeah, people don't realize stuff like that. Sorry to cut the tape so soon, but I can't give you all the entire interview right away. As I said already, episode three will be split into a two-parter. Next week, me and Jazz will be sitting back down We'll be listening to the second half of the Robert Vick interview and just be giving our, you know, our thoughts, our generalized and kind of more specific thoughts and, you know, open discussion based off the interview uh, that we had. So um, thank you all again for listening in and sharing and stuff like that. Um, Mr. Vick, thank you for, you know, sitting down with me and giving me the opportunity to pick your brain a little bit. Um, you know, as always, reach out to us on Instagram, uh, reach out to us on our email uh, shout out to Trans Waco, Rogue Media, Black Sin, and the New Black Collective. Um, as always, um, I'm Davey R. And thank you all. And, you know, shout out to the streets. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.